Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. It's the new year, and all of us are looking for success in some way in 2023. How do we find success, and will God honor success for us in 2023? This is the second Sunday of the new year. Our first Sunday, we kind of kicked off and we started looking at Psalm 90 on that first Sunday. We're going to continue looking there uh, today and the rest of this month as we're kind of talking about having success in the new year. Success in the new year. Don't you want success in the new year? I mean, I don't know what it is you're praying for, hoping for, working toward, but all of us believe and hope that our 23 is going to be better than our 22. Am I right? I mean, most of us probably had a bad 2020 with all the junk that happened there, and we've been trying to, (coughs) excuse me, kind of recover. I got it too. Kind of trying to recover from all that stuff, and hopefully 23 is going to be the year in whatever area you're focused on right now. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're trying to have better eating habits. Maybe you're trying to lose some weight or become more fit. Maybe it's relationship issues. Maybe this is the year where you're going to be building bridges and working on things. Maybe it's personal stuff yourself. Maybe you're going to be trying to get that anger under control or that tongue under control. Maybe you've got something like that and you're hoping for good success this year. Maybe it's in your business. You know, you've been working it, working it, and it's been so hard, and you really need a breakthrough in your business. And this year, this year, you're hoping for success. All of us, in one way or another, want some kind of success in the new year. And so I'm, I want to talk about what that looks like today a little bit, and I'm going to need your help some, okay, because we just had the first service. Yeah, that happened. Uh, and those guys, I'm telling you, they've about convinced me that I'm going to go and uh, join a charismatic church. I, I really am going to need your help a little bit today. I'm just going to need you to act like you're awake. It's gloomy. It's dark. It's rainy. We got sick people, and I hear the coughs around the room. I, I got it too, but I'm going to need your help a little bit. Can I get your help a little bit today? Okay, I'm just I'm really going to need your It's really going to help me a whole lot, so that would be great. We're looking at Psalm 90. We're talking about success. And at the end of Psalm 90, the author, remember who the author of Psalm 90 is? Who is it? Moses. Okay, thank you, Greg Engler, for being the one guy helping me out. Okay, so Moses is the author of this particular song. And at the end of this song, Moses says this, May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts Successful, Yes, make our efforts successful. That's a great little prayer of an ending of a song. I like that. I got it hanging up on my wall now. It's great. May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Amen. 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 Come on. That's awesome. Ooh, sermon will be shorter if you participate more. <laughs> 
So may God show us his approval. You know, if he approves of us, that means God smiles on us. If God shows us his approval, it means he shows us his blessing. He pours out his favor. God is smiling on us and showing us his approval. When he approves, we have success. When he approves, we experience the, the outcomes that we're hoping to have in our lives. And that's what we're looking for this year. We're looking for God's approval in our lives in 2023, right? Okay, good, 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 good job. So what are you working on in your life that you're hoping God approves of? Because I wonder, I wonder about us. I wonder sometimes if we aren't working on things that God's never gonna approve of. You know, I can promise you, if you're working on stuff in your life um, that goes against God's will and his plan for your life, he's never going to approve that. You know, if this is the year that you're planning to finally get the revenge on that former friend in your life that keeps doing you wrong, and you're planning to finally get your, uh, what you deserve out of that this year, I promise God's not going to smile on that. He's not going to approve of that, am I right? If this is the year you're gonna cheat on your spouse, I promise God is not gonna approve of that. If this is your year to be getting what you want out of everything and building your own kingdom, I promise God is not gonna be approving that in your life. John says this in 1 John, he says, do not love the world or the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Something big is missing when you're all wrapped up in yourself and your own plans and the things of this world. Something huge is missing in you. The love of the Father is not in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements. That's a recipe for disaster. Those are the things that God does not approve, pride in our own achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world, and the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So if you want to experience the approval, the favor, the smile, the blessing of God in your life in 2023, uh, you got to be uh, doing what pleases God. So the uh, next question I got, the question for us this year is the first blank on your page. How can we get God's approval in 2023? How can we experience God's approval? What does he approve of? What is God eager to bless? Or in Psalm 90, let's, let's think about this from Moses' perspective. You know, he's thinking about how God smiles, how God approves. Let's just think about what he's seen in his life, right? Moses was born during that moment where Pharaoh had issued the edict that all Hebrew baby boys that are born must be Killed. That's right. Kill all the male baby boys of the Hebrews. Moses was born, but he was spared because his mom stuck him in the basket. You know the story, right? She stuck him in the basket and he went floating down the river and he was picked up by a compassionate daughter of the Pharaoh, the princess, who found him. And she's like, wow, this, how can we kill this baby? 
And so she allowed Moses' own mom to raise him, and she, the princess, adopted Moses right into the royal family of Pharaoh himself. Holy cow, this is a this is a miraculous, divine move by God. Am I right? I mean, Moses had seen God do something incredible, but that wasn't all. That wasn't all, right? He, he grew up there in Egypt, and then Moses had a moment where he committed a crime of passion, right? He witnessed an Egyptian man abusing a Hebrew man, and he flew off the handle, and he killed that Egyptian. He killed him. Moses became, Moses became a murderer, so knowing what's coming to him, he, he knows surely he's gonna be found out. So what does he do? He goes and he runs and he hides. He spends years hiding in the wilderness. He feels like if somebody finds out about him, they're gonna kill him. Justice will be served. He deserves to die. So he's hiding out in the wilderness. But God's doing something in Moses with this time that he's out there. And God has that encounter with Moses. You remember in the middle of the wilderness, at that burning bush and he says Moses I'm choosing you the one that I made sure I saved and then you tried to ruin it by sinning blatantly against me and against everybody else by killing that man but I'm choosing to use you I'm going to use you to set my people free in other words your life should have been a disaster even though I miraculously saved it you made a disaster of it but I'm going to I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna make something of you. You were worthless, but I'm gonna give you value. I'm gonna use you to rescue my people. And so he sends Moses back to Egypt and you know that story, right? He goes and he faces the Pharaoh, let my people go, right? You've seen the movie, right? And so Pharaoh won't do it and all the plagues and everything. But sure enough, sooner or later, finally Pharaoh relents. He says, okay, I can't take any more of this horrible God of yours. So get out of my sight. And so all the uh, Hebrew people, they all rush out of Egypt just in time for Pharaoh to change his mind. And Pharaoh says, nope, never mind. And he sends his army after them. And you know, the, the people of Israel, they're, they're now the children of Israel. They're now stuck up against the, the ocean. They, they can't go any farther. They're, they're stuck there. And the Egyptian army coming right up behind them. And then God does this amazing miracle. Once again, another miracle. He's already saved Moses from death. Then he saved Moses from the wilderness. And now he does this other miracle where he <coughs> parts the sea right? He parts the sea and the people of Israel go across on dry land. They're spared from the army. They get across to the other side just as the army comes in, galloping after them to attack and destroy them, bring them back into slavery if they will. But then God closes up the water and that's it for the Egyptian army. God ends a world superpower right there to save his people. Holy cow, he's, Moses has watched God move time and time and time again. He's seen God do some amazing things. And, and so right as they see this happen, I, I mean, I bet all their eyes are like, you know, and they see this happen and Moses writes another song. It may have been his first song. And part of that song is found in Exodus 15. It goes like this. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious 
in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead your people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. He's watched God move and move. He's seen God move time and again, and he can't help but respond to God. Have you seen God move in your life? Can you remember a time where God did some kind of miraculous thing in your life that only God could do? Maybe, maybe he took you, he took you, and he saved you the way he did Moses. Maybe, maybe he's redeeming your life and changing you and taking what was worthless and giving it incredible, beautiful value. Maybe it's a healing. Oh, you're doing good, by the way. You're doing really good. Maybe, it's this side, by the way. I'm not sure over here. Uh, maybe it's a healing that you've seen happen. Maybe it's a relationship restored. Um, maybe it's, it's something that you had been praying for, longing for, begging God for, and God showed up and did what only God could do, and he did a miraculous move that you couldn't help but respond to. Have you seen that in your life? Moses saw it happen again and again and again, and they get on the other side. He sings the song. He writes the song. And then what happens? They have the opportunity now to step right on into the promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham, their forefather, hundreds of years earlier. Finally, the day of the promise has come, and they get to the holy land, and God wants them to go into the holy land, the promised land, but they... What? They disobey God, right? They don't trust God enough to step out of the wilderness and into the promise. And they say, God, we know better than you do. We're gonna do it the way we wanna do it, not the way you want us to do it. They don't trust God. They disobey him. And God says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop everything. I've got this land that I've set aside just for you. But maybe you should wait a minute. Maybe you should wait just a minute. I, I want to do something in you, but you aren't ready yet. I've got blessings for you. I've got plans for you, but you aren't in the right place yet. You're in the wilderness, but your hearts are not mine. And you aren't ready to step into this level of a relationship with me. And so he told the people to stop. And they now were destined to wander in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. 40 years. An entire generation had to go before God would lead them finally into the promised land. In fact, he says in Numbers 14, he says, none of those, look at this, none of those who treated me with contempt will ever see the promised land. None of those who didn't trust me, none of those who didn't take me at my word, none of these who, who really just kind of put me off, none of those that treated me with contempt will ever actually see the promise. You want my approval? You want my blessing? Trust me, trust me. So God's moved in these biblical proportions 
world-shaking proportions, world-power-ending proportions, and now the people of Israel are wandering for 40 years in the desert. Are they just wandering? We're just wandering, don't know where to go? No, of course not. What's God, what's God doing in them? What is, he, what is he spending those 40 years doing in them? First of all, he establishes a covenant with them. Hey, Rodriguez, I didn't see you earlier. Good to see you. He establishes a covenant with them. He teaches them how to relate to him and how to worship them. He establishes the tabernacle and he starts to build into them a discipline of self-denial and self-sacrifice as they learn his character and his nature and as they learn to love and to worship him. He takes them through the wilderness of learning him for 40 years. And think of what they are becoming. Think of this. Think of it for a second. It's a nation whose God has led them to homelessness. It's an entire nation where everybody is longing for their home and they've been denied that promise. It's gonna wait for 40 years, yet they still choose to worship him. We give the people of Israel a lot of flack because they were unfaithful a lot of times. But dude, I gotta give them credit because here they are in the wilderness, denied their promise, and they're still gonna worship him. Come on. It had to be some time later on in this story that Moses wrote the song that would become Psalm 90. Right, it had to be some time later on. And I love what Moses says in this thing. He says in verse one, the, the, the song starts out with this incredible deep realization that only a Moses could understand. He says this, he says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Egypt wasn't our home. We, we knew we didn't belong there. We were begging you to, to get us out of there. We've been longing for our one day home all the time, longing to get there. And now we're, we're wandering homeless here in the desert. And it's dawning on me, God, that it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. It's not about land, it's about a person. It's not about being comfortable, it's about being at home with you wherever you lead. All these years, God, you have been our home. Moses gets it, and he writes this song that leads off with this understanding that it's about walking with God and knowing him. You wanna find his approval, you wanna find his blessing, it's about walking with him and knowing him. The more you know him, the more he changes you. God's not the one doing the changing himself, God's the one doing the changing of you. And the more you know him, the more he changes you into his image. That's what he was doing with the Israelites. 
right? That's what he does in the New Testament in believers. And that's what he's doing in you, right? That's what he's doing in you, right? Because once you were a person without a home, right? Once you were that person who was a slave to the kingdom of sin, you didn't just dabble in sin, right? You weren't just experimenting and toying with sin. You were a slave to it and you could not get out from under it. You were a victim of sin and it made you a sinner. It made you a treasonous criminal against God. You were born, you were born an enemy of God as a sinner and your judgment had already been pronounced guilty and the death penalty is what's coming to you. Right? All of us were there at one time. All of us were that enemy of God living our lives in complete rebellion, treating him with contempt. But God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to come here who never treated his father with contempt, right? Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He was completely united with God. No sin of his own to have to deal with. And he goes to the cross and God takes all my sin, all your sin, and he puts it onto the person of Jesus Christ. And he punishes Jesus for what I had done. He punishes Jesus for my sin, my transgressions. Jesus pays my price. He takes the death penalty in my place. So my sentence is paid for. He dies on that cross and he rose again three days later. And now he's in the process of doing in me what he did in Moses, finding somebody who's got no value, but yet there's something there. There's something there because even though, even though he knows your sin and what you've done in the past, let me tell you something, his great longing is to hold you to hold you in his hands and to say, I see something in you. You don't fully see it yourself, but I put it there. I put it there. I made you to look like me, to act like me, to talk like me, to think like me. And I can see it. It's there. It's just right there. I can see it but you, you don't get it yet. You're still caught up in all that old stuff. You're still caught up in all the things that keep you a slave to everything that destroys you. And his great desire is to do to you what he did in Moses. His great desire is to begin removing all that old stuff, begin taking it away, removing your burdens, removing your sin, removing your shame, and making you into something new. The more he takes away all that old, the more he sees himself in you. And the more he sees himself in you, the more it makes him smile. Come on, thank you. That's what he does in us, and that's called redemption. It's called redemption. That's what he's always been doing. That's what he always will be doing, is taking what is worthless and bringing value out of it and making it new, right? The scripture um, 
tells us that that's what he's always doing. In fact, next blank on your page, his work, God's work is redemption. The thing that he is all about is redemption. It's about taking this broken world and making it right again. Reforming this whole thing back into the original beautiful image that he designed for it to be in. That's what he is doing. Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This is God's great longing. It's his great work is to take the broken world and make it right again. That's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. The old life is gone. And so if I want to see God's smile, if I want to experience success from God, I I want to be all about his work. I, I, I want to understand that my role is to be the same as his role. I want to be all about redeeming myself and the world around me. I know I don't do it. I know I can't do it. I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. I don't even know what parts of me need redeeming because I think I'm always right. Can I get an amen on that one? I think I'm always right. If I didn't mean it, I wouldn't have said it. You know, I mean, it's right. I'm right. And God sometimes just has to go, (laughs) oh, Steve, let's work on this. And he rolls his sleeves up. He rolls his sleeves up and he gets to work in me. And he begins to find that stuff that's worthless and he removes it and he restores value. He restores his image. That's what he's doing. If I want to experience his success, I want to be on that plan, right? I want to be on that plan. I want to be doing what he's doing. In fact, that's the next blank on your page. If I want to make God smile, it's in doing what he does. It's in participating in the redemptive work of God. That's exactly where Moses found himself. He had been hiding all those years out in the wilderness and God said, nope, I've chosen you. You come and do what I'm telling you to do. And Moses is the faith hero of Israel even today because he decided to get on board with what God wanted to do in his people. He decided to roll up his sleeves and do the hard work of redemption so that he could be part of God taking what's worthless and bringing value out of it. Paul was onto this with his young apprentice, Timothy, right? Timothy was a leader of people and Paul writes an encouraging letter to him. And one of the things he says is he's talking about God's approval. You wanna see God's approval in your life? You wanna see God's approval in your 2023? Hey, Timothy, you wanna see it in your, I don't know, what, 03, <laughs> 003? Oh, here you go. Look at this. He says, do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved. There it is right there. Be approved by God, 
a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He's speaking to Timothy, and he's talking about approval, and he's saying approval in your life partly comes uh, by rightly handling the word of truth. Now, listen, you and I know we're, we're smart theologians. Sure. And we know that this letter is called a pastoral epistle. That means it's written to Timothy, who was a, what was his job? Pastor. He was a pastor. It's called a pastoral epistle. And so this is a letter to, you could say, pastors, right? Here's how to be a pastor. Here's how to love your people. Here's how to care for your people. Here's how to, here's how to find, as a pastor, how to find God's approval, rightly handling the word of truth. So the way, the lens that we look at this through, knowing it's a pastoral epistle, is we say, okay, what this means, Timothy... It says, as a pastor, you are responsible to rightly handle the word of truth. That means that you better have your theology correct. You better not just know the verse that you're preaching from. You better know the full context that it comes through. You better, you better know what the Old Testament says about it and the New Testament says about it. And you better make sure it all lines up. And don't you dare take a little fragment of scripture and twist it to fit your preferences. Don't you dare take one little word or one little phrase or one little verse out of context and misrepresent God's word and his will for his people by making it fit your personal preferences. That's abusing the word of God. Don't you dare do that. Study, show yourself approved, know your junk. You don't just stand up on a Sunday morning and start blabbing, am I right, Greg? You don't just stand up on a Sunday morning and just, well, the Holy Spirit will speak. No, you work it. You know your junk. And then only after prayer, study, fear, and trembling, then you humbly speak the word of God to your people. That's the, that's the, that's the grid that we view this to, through. But I'm gonna take this one step further because I believe that this verse doesn't only apply to pastors, but I believe it applies to every single person that ever reads it. I believe it applies to you as well. Now, you may not ever have the responsibility of standing in a spotlight with a microphone trying to attempt to divide the word of God and be faithful to leading other people. That, that may not be your thing, but for you, believer, what does it mean for you to rightly handle the word of truth? Are you even rightly handling this? How do you even handle it? I mean, how do you handle the word of truth? Because your command here is to rightly handle it. And some of you don't even know where your copy of it is. Right, I mean, you show up in church on Sunday morning and, and some of y'all won't even bring out a copy. You won't even open up a copy. We work hard here at the church to provide you with good notes, you know, that include all of the verses. And so you can just, we even make it to where you can just, you know, tap a couple of taps on your screen and it's right there in front of you and you don't even handle it for that. We serve it right up for you on the table and you, mm. did you Did you realize that for most of Christianity, for 1,500 out of the last 2,000 years of Christianity, most Christians 
did not possess a personal copy of the Bible. For three-fourths of Christianity, that was not a thing. People didn't, didn't have a concept of a personal Bible. In fact, the reason, one of the reasons the Reformation happened about 500 years ago is because people weren't allowed to have a personal copy. People were told, you aren't worthy, you aren't smart enough, you aren't educated enough to rightly handle the word of truth. You'll do more damage to yourself if you have one, so you better not have one. And people fought to keep the Bible out of Christians' hands. Do you know who fought to keep it out of Christians' hands? The church! It was the church. The church said, no, you're too dumb. You gotta obey this verse. And if you, if you don't know it, then you can't, you know, you don't have to worry about rightly handling it. So they locked it in chains onto the pulpits in the churches. And there were Christian reformers who gave their lives to get the Bible into your hands and into my hands. They were literally martyred because they believe that you deserve to have a copy of your own. And we don't even handle it. We don't even touch it. We don't even pick it up. We're so blessed with it today. We're so blessed in America. We talk about how we don't have the Ten Commandments in the courthouses anymore and we don't have them up, don't have the Word of God in the schools anymore. I agree, it's awful. But think about it for a second. Today, you and I have such access to the word of God that even if for some reason you don't have a leather bound gold leaf footnoted study Bible in your house there's people that work hard to provide every English translation and make it available to you with a few taps on your smartphone. We have such access to it today. I mean, it's just all, we have, we have such freedom, such availability of God's word today. We're so blessed with it, yet we don't touch it, let alone rightly handle it. God has been generous to speak his word to us. We worship a God that's not hiding behind a cloud somewhere. He's not, he's not hoping that maybe we'll figure him out. He's given us 66 books in a Bible to tell us all about who he is and what he's doing in our world today, right? He's been super generous. That Bible has been on the verge of extinction numerous times in history, but we have more copies of it today than ever at any point in history. They've tried to end it. They've tried to burn them all. They've tried to kill all the Christians. But yet today, 2,000 years, over 2,000 years after Jesus, you and I still have full access to all of God's word. God has been so generous to us to let us have his word. And we treat it with contempt. We treat it like it's poison. Keep our hands off it. Or it's a, you know, it's that icon, it's moved back, it's farther and farther back in my phone. You know, it's like the third screen, the fourth screen, the fifth screen now in my phone. You know, it's, I don't even know where it is anymore. I can't remember the last time I tapped it. I can't remember the last time I sat down and opened it. His word tells us over and over again, 
Know the word of God. Be immersed in the word of God. Let it be on your lips. Let it be on your foreheads. Let it be on your hands. Let it be on your doorpost. Say it in the morning when you get up. Say it in the night when you're going to bed. Make sure you say it, you read it, you're all about it all the time. And we treat it with contempt. And my my first challenge, if you want to see God smile in your life in 2023, be in God's word. You know, a great tool, just a great tool to get started, that free Bible app that's available, the YouVersion Bible app, is awesome for getting started. Maybe you don't know where to start. There's just hundreds of reading plans that you can pick up. There's plans for men, plans for women, plans for teenagers, plans for senior adults. There's plans for business people. There's plans for farmers. There's plans for people learning, wanting to learn how to pray. There's people, plans for people wanting to learn how to witness. There's plans for people dealing with loneliness. There's plans, it's just all kinds of plans. And you can read the plan. It's like a seven-day plan. Usually it's between a three and a, and a usually a thir- three and a 30-day plan. Most of them are around seven days. And it just takes you a few minutes a day just to read the little devotional and read the verses that go with it. And it would be an amazing way for God to begin to speak into your life and for you to begin to know him. It would be a great way for you to stop treating his word with contempt but letting him speak into your life. Can I get an amen on that? So be approved by God. Be approved by God accurately and rightly handle his word of truth. Listen, God's approval does not come from how many times you read the Bible this week. God's approval comes through Jesus Christ. He alone approves you. He puts his stamp of approval on you as a believer, but God's smile comes the more you know him and the more you let him change you. This is our role, is to participate in this life change, to let him be changing me and to let him be changing the world around me through me. This is the way we participate with him. We call it here at the Orchard Church, we say that's making the gospel relevant to our community. It's making the gospel relevant to our community. That's because we say that the gospel is God speaking into our lives, convicting us of sin, leading us to repentance and turning to him and letting him change us. That's the gospel uh, response. And so our mission here at the Orchard Church is to make the gospel relevant. That means to take this real thing that's going on, the gospel, and to bring it right to where you are. To say, here's how it applies today right here and right now in your life. This is what we're all about. It's what this church was founded for, is to make the gospel relevant. It's to be on board with the redemptive work that God is doing. We just wanna be doing what he's doing. If you want favor from God, success from God, do what God's doing, make the gospel relevant to our community. So we started this church in 2009, and I promise we didn't start it because we wanted to be, you know, contemporary or uh, we wanted to build a group of people who were good at going to church. You know, it's not about going to church. It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus, redeeming the world around us. That's, that's, what we, that's, why, that's why we're always serving meals out there at Tower Road. That's why we just did Hope Tree 
for those kids out there. That's why we're always engaged in, a, in our downtown big events because we think we can help them and we think we can be a Holy Spirit influence along the way, witnessing to them. I promise you, Jeff Parker, Diane Fowler, Annie Oakley, Stephen Mansell, none of our staff, none of our staff desires to get downtown at noon on the weekend after Thanksgiving and spend the whole day doing stuff down there for downtown, but we do it because we're part of God's redemptive work in this community. That's why we do everything that we do. And on February 5th, I'm gonna be inviting all of you guys to partner with us in that again this year. Yeah, I'm gonna be inviting you to find the approval of God by partnering to do the work that God is doing. Partner with us in redeeming this world back to him, finding what seems to be worthless and bringing value out of it, bringing Christ into it. I'm gonna be asking you to partner with us. You know, a lot of churches, you're, you're probably used to church membership and, and we're really different than that. Our church doesn't have membership. We have partnership. And so membership is kind of like, yeah, I've showed up and I've hung my shingle and this is my seat. I always sit right here on the second row, right, Susie? I always sit right here on the second row. That's my, I'm a member and I sit on the second row. That's what that kind of means. Partnership is different. Partnership is not like that. Partnership says, I get what you're doing. I see that you're on board with God redeeming the world and I wanna be part of that. I wanna do that. So for us, partnership is a thing that we do, not the thing that we are. And also partnership is cyclical. It's a yearly thing. It lapses every year. At the beginning of the year, everybody here gets unpartnered except for elders because somebody's gotta you know, still be a part of the thing. Uh, so elders stay partnered, but everybody else gets unpartnered and has the opportunity to repartner at the beginning of every year because we just feel like we owe it to you to not presume upon you that your 23 is gonna be the same as your 22. And we really feel like you ought to be the one saying, I wanna do this again for another year. I wanna actually jump in and I wanna actually make the gospel relevant to our community by loving God, loving others, and making disciples. May I found out last year, I did those three things. I just did them until I was about broken and look what God did in my life. Look how he started changing me. Look how he started working in me. I mean, I actually did these things that I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna be in a church service every Sunday, but that's the way I practice loving God. I didn't wanna give up a night of the week to be in a life group. I just didn't have the time for that. And I don't have patience with idiots. <laughs> but that's, that's the way I practice loving others. I gotta love others. And making disciples, I didn't wanna serve on a team, but that's what the disciples did. They served over and over and over again. And I actually did these things and, and look who I'm becoming. I'm not the same person I was before. God's working this in me. So sign me up again. I want more of that. The more I do that here, the more it's gonna affect the world around us, especially as we do that outside of here. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that uh, we got a new crop of deacons coming up. This Tuesday, we start meeting with our new group of deacon candidates, and we're gonna start uh, 
I don't know, it's like a six or an eight week long leadership development thing that we're doing with those guys. It starts this Tuesday. And I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, uh, those guys only qualified to be in that group of potential deacon candidates because they have partnered with us and they're demonstrating loving God, loving others and making disciples. We already see that in them. And we're like, you might be a leader here because that's who you are. And we wanna go where you're going. We want people who are passionate about the redemptive work of God in their lives. So I'm gonna be inviting, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm gonna be inviting all y'all to partner with us. You can find out about partnership on our website at theorchard.life slash partner, or you can just scan the QR code. It's right there. I think it's on, it might be on your page also. There's a lot of details and you might have a lot of questions about partnering. And so we've tried to kind of answer all that here. And some of you may not be ready for that yet, and I totally get it. Maybe you've only been kicking the tires here. You've been here a few times and you're not too sure. Well, I got kind of a thing that, that we do before partnership every time, and it's called the Orchard Orientation. Um, and uh, that's just an evening where we invite anybody who wants to, to come down here and to meet our leadership. We talk through kind of where, where we came from, where we think we're going, what God's doing here, and how that all works. And we give you all the behind the scenes, everything. We tell you what we're really all about. No secrets held back. And we let you ask all the questions you wanna ask. Um, and, and, and it's really a, a cool thing. I'd love to invite you to the Orchard Orientation. It's not next Sunday, but it's the following Sunday, Sunday evening at 6.30. That's also on the page that we gave you. I would love for you to come to our orientation. I'd love to meet you personally and just talk to you there about that. Please remember to RSVP for that, RSVP for that. You got to RSVP. If you don't RSVP, then you won't RSVP. <laughs> it's really important though, because there's food. There's food and it's, it's good. It's not like pizza, you know, it's not, this isn't a youth group meeting. We have good food there and it's good. It's good. It's really good. And there's been times when people didn't RSVP and then Steve has to give them his food. Now there's a problem. I don't know if I want you to partner with us. If you're gonna take my food. So RSVP, let us know you're coming so we can make sure we got food. The orchard orientation is two weeks from tonight at 6.30. And then our opportunity for all of us to partner is on Super Sunday, February the 5th. On Super Sunday, February 5th, we're all gonna be in one service. We're gonna baptize, we're gonna have a party and we're all gonna re-partner on that day. If you got questions about that, come to the orientation. I'd love for you to come. Don't forget to RSVP so I can eat. <laughs> so I just want us to be part of God's redemptive plan for Gilmer County. Don't you want that? Don't you want to see God do a movement here? Don't you remember when God's moved in the past? And don't you want to see that happen again? I mean, I, I feel like I ache for this. You know, I, I, I just look at the headlines. You know, the national headlines. I realize how spiritually dead we are. Am I right? Do you, do you get that? Do you feel that? I, I think about what Paul wrote in Romans. I was just reading this this morning in my quiet time. It's not on the screens. But here's what he wrote in Romans 3. I feel like he's describing us in this world today. He says, no one is righteous, not even one. 
No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. And all have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, and they rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery is always following them. They don't know where to find peace, and they have no fear of God at all. Look, some of us old-timers in the room, we, we feel like we can remember a day where God was moving among us. We feel like we can remember a day when God was doing things. He was sending spots of revival and awakening people. And it was legit. It was the real thing. And we saw people surrendering their lives to Christ. We saw people giving their lives to ministry. We saw people becoming missionaries and going abroad, sacrificing themselves just to tell other people about Christ. I long for that. I long for that again. I long to see our land, our nation, our community changed for him. I want to see what I've seen in the past. But your kids haven't seen it. Just like your kids don't remember a day when they didn't have smartphones to watch and to play with. I watched Carter, my two-year-old son, when he gets all fidgety and cryy, and they want to occupy him, they shove a cell phone in his face and he watches videos. He's two. He can't read, but man, he can navigate around to watch the next video he wants to watch. And just like your kids can't remember a day without cell phones in their lives, they also can't remember a day when God moved. They've never seen what you've seen. I don't know that they know enough to hunger for what you hunger for. And they're desperate. This generation is lonelier than any generation ever on the planet. This generation is more desperate, more sad, more depressed, more anxious, more fearful, and more suicidal than any generation ever in history. You and I long to see God move, but they, they've never caught a glimpse like you and I have. That's why Psalm 90, 16 and 17 just resound with me. Look at this, Moses writes, he says, let us your servants see you work again. Don't you wanna see him work again? Don't you want to see him move again? Don't you want to be part of a church that's vibrant and alive where God is working and changing lives and people are laying down their sin and they're becoming everything God's designed them to become? Don't you desire that again? And he says, let, we don't just want to see you work again. God, let our children see your glory. Let our children see it. Lord, they're depressed and suicidal. Let them catch a glimpse of you. Lord, let them see you. God, we want to see you move, and we want our kids to have hope for their future 
And may the Lord our God show us his approval. God, please just smile on us and make our efforts to show our kids, to show our world, to tell us about Jesus, to redeem this world, make our efforts successful. Yes, please, God, make our efforts successful. I'll tell you what our kids don't need to see. They've seen enough hypocrisy in our lives, am I right? They've seen enough of that. They've got that down already. They've seen enough of cold religion that feels more like an obligation than a move of God. They've seen enough of mom and dad slapping hands at church. Everything's great and then going home and sounding a lot more like Romans 3. Their mouths full of cursing and bitterness. Their snake venom drips from their lips. Their tongues are filled with lives. Their talk is foul like stench from an open grave. They've seen enough of that. They get it in school. They get it on their team and they get it at home. They need to see God work again. Our children need to see God work again. So Lord, make our efforts a success. And last blank on your page, let's see him work again. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. God, I am sorry for treating you with contempt. God, I'm sorry that I have turned my back on you, turned against you, Lord, disobeyed you, even disavowed you with my life. Lord, I'm sorry for the times that I have not been the person that you've designed me to be. And God, I realize that everything I need to be that person is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's right here. Thank you, God, for making it possible. And Lord, I pray, I pray a selfish prayer right now. Lord, I pray that you would do in me something. Lord, that my grandkids talk about all their lives. God, I pray that you do in my kids something that their kids and their great-grandkids will talk about for the rest of their lives. God, I pray that you do a movement in this church Lord, it's not just a let's give an applause and a happy amen at the end of a service, but God, that you would move in such a way that it changes everything and that people talk about it for generations to come because you are that great. Lord, I'm tired of the hypocrisy. Lord, I'm tired of the lazy irresponsibility. And Lord, I'm tired of treating you with contempt. God, smile on us. Let us be like Moses. Let us roll up our sleeves and let us get to work and be part of your redemption of this world. Start it in us, Lord. God, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for listening to today's message. You can tell this is a topic that's really on my heart. I'm very passionate about seeing God move once again, and I believe he's going to use us to start something. You heard me talking about our upcoming Super Sunday on February the 5th. That's going to be the day where I just open up and I just share my vision for the Orchard Church in 2023. It's my vision. It's our elders' vision to see God move in some real, unique, particular ways. And we feel like God's calling us to something special. 
Would you be a part of that day? Maybe you've listened to our podcast, but you've never attended in person. I'd like to invite you to come at 11 a.m. on February 5th to the Orchard Church and be part of this vision casting day. We're going to baptize people. We're going to have some incredible worship time. And we're going to look to the future and see what God wants to do in and through us. Use us, Lord. Use us to change the world. Mm -hmm.